So this morning, well, here, here at Moran Park, um, we really believe that um, we believe in the, what's called the priesthood of all believers, meaning everyone has a gift to contribute. We believe in an all play where God's given us different gifts and abilities and talents to be used. And the thing that we continue to fight, a, fight against is a culture and a tradition that says, well, the professionals get to do all the stuff. The professionals get to do most of the, the work and most of the gifts. That's garbage, man, because uh, you got gifts, too, that you get to use. And so um, that, that's why even during times of worship, when we gathered together in the morning, we, we try to provide more outlets for you to use your gifts. So if your gifts are like dancing and stuff, right, we have all this open space in the front. I've told you that before. Why do I sit up front? So I can do a little dancing, right? It's, um, we, we have these two chairs right here. There's nothing special per se about the chairs, but um, we do believe that God pours out gifts of the Holy Spirit from, from tongues to interpretation to prophecy to words of knowledge, words of wisdom and blah, right down the list. And we want to give you an outlet to use those gifts. And so if that's something on your heart, you feel like God's giving you a gift to share with Moran Park, um, you just come up to these two chairs, and it rotates who's in it every Sunday. But come and talk to them, and, and we try to do it in an orderly and God-honoring way that edifies the body and builds up the church. And so we try to provide outlets for that. So um, if you've grown up in the church, likely is, is that you grew up when the senior pastor would do, uh, would, would probably teach 50, 50 weeks out of the year. Um, I don't teach 50 weeks out of the, the year, not because I don't en enjoy doing so, um, but because there's a lot of other people at Moran Park who have a gift of teaching besides myself. And we want to make sure that we provide space and opportunity for people to use their gifts. So, of course, Dave teaches a lot too, which is, which is great, but we also have just other people who are in the marketplace the rest of the week, and they contribute their gifts and even the gift of teaching. So we've had Josh Rumpsa share, Chris Beetham, I mean, a number of folks at the Posts. Um, and so this morning, we have someone uh, here in Moran Park who's got a gift of teaching. And I'm going to invite her up. Alicia, come on up. Give Alicia a round of applause. <laughs> Alicia has a real gift for teaching and, and writing. And finally, it was a number of months ago, we were just like, ah, oh, come on, you use, it, you use your gifts for the kingdom outside of Moran Park. It's time to use it for Moran Park, too. And so... We finally got a date that worked for her schedule to come and share this with Moran Park. Hang on, sorry. Do you hear that buzzing or is that just me? I hear it. <laughs> Except for my kids do this thing where they play a noise that says only old people can hear it, so I didn't really want to admit I could hear that. <laughs> You're old, Brett. I love it. The question I'm is, old. kids, do you hear the buzzing? That's right. That's really Maybe that. Hey, thanks. Um, closer. Yeah, there, there we go. go. I mean, I'm not teaching, but it would bother me immensely, so I'm, praise the Lord. Uh, Alicia and her husband, Rob, have five kids, and um, you, if you're in the balcony, you probably haven't seen them a ton. They are balcony dwellers, right? So the people in the balcony probably recognize, they're like, oh, wait a minute, she sits up here with us. They are balcony dwellers, and uh, a real gift to Moran Park. The thing I'm always encouraged about, um, Alicia and Rob and their, and their family, is um, they've been here for a couple of years now, but they are people that that really want to follow Jesus in every area of their life. And I don't have time to get into every area of their life that they're doing it, but they seek to not just grow in more knowledge of the Lord, but to obey Him. And they're obeying Him in some really radical ways. And so when she's up here teaching, it's not just like, wow, she's a really gifted teacher and has great information. Like, they live this stuff out. And for me, that's the most encouraging thing is their life as well. And so I'm uh, excited to see what the Lord's going to bring to us this morning through Alicia. And before that, um, I'm going to pray. All right? 
God, I thank you for my sister, and I thank you for the gift that you, you've given her, and I thank you for the many gifts that you've poured out on this place and these people, Lord Jesus. And so we just thank you, God, that uh, you've been stirring in her heart over the past number of weeks. What do you want to share in Marion Park? God, I thank you for the gift that she is to this place, and uh, especially to the balcony, but even beyond the balcony, God. And so, God, we ask that you would pour out your spirit upon her right now, God, that you would speak clearly to her, God, that you would lead her away from the things you don't want her to speak on and share with, share about, God, and you would speak clearly to her about the things you want her to say. I just command any fear to leave in Jesus' name, and any just desire to perform a certain way would leave right now in Jesus' name, that you would just come upon her and give her peace, Lord Jesus. We command any distraction in this place to be gone in Jesus' name, God, that you would stir our hearts towards Jesus, that these words, God, would stir us up to greater love and affection for Jesus. Oh, God, we thank you that you love to reveal truth to us and love to reveal Jesus. We trust that you'll do that this morning, that you'll take these words and they'll penetrate the depth of our heart and we become more like Jesus. That's our desire, and we, God, we know that's your will. So we give you these things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks. Well, I did learn that when Dave first came, Britt did a rap for Dave, so I'm a little disappointed that he didn't plot a rap, but thanks, Britt. Thank you. It's good to see you. <laughs> so good. Well, hi, Balcony. And for the rest of you, you look really good from this side. I usually see the back of your heads. It's a good-looking view, too, but good morning. It's, uh, it's my pleasure to be here, and it's been super sweet for just to, to sit with the Lord and the one and others as I've been just preparing and listening to what he would have for us today. And so um, that alone has been a gift to me. So it's just like icing on the cake that I get to share with you what he's been showing me in his word. When our fourth born, Joshua, went to kindergarten, he lost the skip in his step. And maybe for some kids that wouldn't be super unusual, um, but this was my five-year-old who bounded out of bed before the sun would rise. This is my five-year-old who ran circles in the yard a thousand times a day just because he could. This was my five-year-old who didn't really walk anywhere. He ran and hopped and leaped and jumped because that's what little boys do. And if you're a mom of little boys, I, I know you've got an amen in your head. Yeah. So on the first day of kindergarten, when Josh stepped off the bus, and I watched him slog across the yard with his head down. I thought, who is this child? And the next day, when he got off the bus, sloshed across the yard in the same way, I had to swallow this lump of tears. Who is this boy? I don't have time for the backstory. When his brother told him that, when he told us on the way to school that he'd rather go to jail, and his tweenage brother told him it was basically the same thing. I don't really have time to unpack that story. It might have had something to do with the slogging legs, but the truth was this. This boy that used to be happy and bounding and content suddenly had settled in a place with a little sad heart and, a, and just a lot of insecurity. And so I prayed through this, and we talked about it a lot, and as I would listen to his days at school, I couldn't really hear anything that was off. Um, it, it didn't make a lot of sense. I knew his teacher. He had an amazing, life-giving teacher, um, a woman who was just crazy in love with Jesus. Her room was filled with light. He was in a school that was lively and safe. And so it didn't make sense um, that kindergarten was stealing his joy. And so probably a week into kindergarten, I found myself in the hallway, and um, I was chatting with his teacher, just sharing kind of the concerns. This is how... It's been going, and she listened with an understanding nod, and 
she assured me that what was happening in the classroom looked good. He was doing his work, and he seemed to be engaged. And, and she just paused, and this very wise kindergarten teacher said, so what does Joshua do at recess? I thought about it. I thought about the things he'd told me, and I said, well, it sounds like he mostly sits alone on the swings. See, this little boy of mine who lived lived to be outside and run around and play and who had been absolutely convinced that recess was the best subject of school, suddenly got to recess as a small little kindergartner and found that it was pretty overwhelming to be the little guy on the playground. So he sat on the swings. And the bummer was I hadn't ever taught him how to pump. See, that's what happens when you're four out of five. You don't learn those things. So I told the teacher, I think he just mostly kind of hangs on the swings, and the real bummer is, yeah, he doesn't have anyone to push him. The teacher smiled and said, aha, I think I know how we should pray. I really think Joshua's going to flourish when he finds a friend. So together we agreed to pray towards that end, and, and really only just a couple days later, that yellow bus pulled up the driveway, and sure enough, the door opened, and my little stream of kids walked out, and, and the tail end was Joshua, and this time he was bouncing across the yard. His backpack was bopping on his back, and I thought, aha, something happened. So over snack, the story spills out. He's telling me about his day, and he says, Mom, at recess, guess what, guess what? I met a friend. Okay, this wasn't any friend. This was a friend who knew how to make the swing soar. And by the end of recess, this four-foot answer to prayer had taught Joshua how to do the same. Everything about kindergarten changed from that point on. Joshua began to gain his confidence. The skip in his step returned. Together, he and his friend Aaron navigated kindergarten life. They got brave enough to do the kickball games with the big kids. They got brave enough to actually terrorize the little girl, I'm pretty sure. Everything changed. And later, at the end of that kindergarten year, we were just chatting one day as I was driving him across town, and I said, gosh, I can't believe kindergarten's almost over, Josh. It's amazing. What's been the best part? And Joshua said, oh, my friend Aaron, that's the best part of kindergarten. And I said, well, tell me, what makes your friend so special? I looked at Josh in the rearview mirror, and he was thinking about it just a minute, and then his eyes lit up, and he said, Mom, Aaron is a friend who made my legs brave. Yeah. I think when I look at Paul's words and his letter to the young believers in 1 Thessalonians, I think Paul understood that we all need people to make our legs brave. See, Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians a couple times, actually twice over, really close together, in chapter 4 and in chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians 5. I'm just going to read the one time he says it, 5.18. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. Encourage one another. I'm guessing that not many of us dangled on a swing alone this week. Maybe. Do I have any kids on the swing? Someone did. But I bet that some of us 
spent the week dangling in doubt. And I'm guessing that not many of us need to have a push on the swings anymore. Maybe your mom taught you and I failed to teach mine. But I'm guessing that a lot of us sure could use a push out of our comfort zone, a push to actually take the step and do that thing God's been asking us to do, a push to speak life and truth to someone who needs to hear it. I'm guessing we could all use a push. And though many of us probably don't feel afraid anymore at the thought of stepping into a uh, a kickball game with big kids, there's a lot of us who probably feel afraid to step into a new venture as God is leading, to step in a new way of obedience. I'm guessing that in this room we have people who are afraid to step away from some comfort they've known, from an unhealthy relationship, an unhealthy habit, a secret sin. We might not be kindergartners, but we could all use people in our life who make our legs brave. That's why I love this letter to the Thessalonians, because Paul sort of lays out these bookends for our faith. And so anytime in scripture we see the word therefore, therefore encourage one another, we really need to ask ourselves, like, what, what came first? I'll admit it, before I was a mom of five, a writer, a speaker, I was a teacher. And so I'll give me a little English teacher nerd moment, if you would, because I love words. I love words so much, I asked for a dictionary for my first grade birthday, to which my family mocks me to this day. <laughs> So therefore is a connecting word. So let's say, like, what was Paul talking about? He's connecting one stream of thought to the other when he says encourage each other. And so really, if we take a look at the whole letter of Thessalonians, don't worry, some of you look so panicked. Oh my gosh, she's preaching on the entire book of Thessalonians today. Now let me just summarize it. If we look at the letter, really what it is, it's, it's a letter to a young church. Paul, Paul had gone to Thessalonica, I don't know if I'm saying that right, and he had shared the gospel. And in sharing the gospel, many had believed and a little church had started. This was pretty early in his his missionary journeys. And so Paul had left that church and gone on to plant more and share the gospel in other places. So at some point, it's believed that when he was with the Colossians, he wrote a letter back to the Thessalonians and said, hey, like just checking in, just encouraging you, how's it going? And in the letter, he just is laying out the bookends of our lives. So he starts in 1 Thessalonians reminding them about um, what happened when he came. If you want to put that one up there, 1 Thessalonians 2. Where we're at? 1 Thessalonians 1. He says, We always thank God for all of you in our prayers, for your action and belief of true faith, your tireless toll of love, your unwavering, unending hope. And he goes on to say, hey, remember, here's why we thank God for you. What you experienced in the good news we brought you was more than channeling down your ears. It came to you as a life-empowering, spirit-infused message. So basically, he's like, hey, guys, remember when you received salvation? Do you remember the gospel? When everything changed, like this life-empowering message came, that's where life began. Your new life in Christ began. We brought you the message. 
And then he goes on and chats with him about what it looks like to live out this message. And then he ends the letter with, it seems a little bit odd, this whole commentary on what happens when we die and how our bodies will be raised from the dead and how Jesus is coming back. So in Thessalonians, right before he tells the people, hey, I want you to like encourage each other, he's actually writing about what it's going to look like when Jesus comes back. So 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 to 11, he says, um, God chose to save us through Jesus our Lord. Christ died for us so that whether we're dead or alive, when he returns, we will live with him forever. Therefore, encourage each other and build each other up. It's like Paul is saying, hey, we've got these bookends of faith. We have the gospel. We received salvation. Jesus is coming back. We live with him forever. But between salvation and glory, we have this road. And we are left to figure out what it looks like to walk out the gospel and walk out our salvation along this dust of earth. And Paul, of all people, knew that that's not always easy and that's not always pretty. The bookends are great. It's awesome when we encounter Jesus and say yes to salvation. It's going to be amazing when he comes back and we say yes to glory. But in between, in the meantime, therefore, we're going to have to encourage each other. In the meantime, between the bookends of salvation and glory, we need to be people with brave legs. What does it look like to encourage one another, Moran Park? Of course, God didn't exactly list a whole, like, lot of, a specific list of ways that we could do that. He doesn't say, you know, like in Habakkuk, like, okay, there's 15 things you do to encourage and stay away from these 12 things that discourage. He didn't do that. Think God knows that we each are so unique and he's created us so creatively that the way we encourage one another is going to look different. But what God did do and what we're celebrating in this Advent season at this Christmas time is we are celebrating the fact that God didn't just say, hey, encourage people, encourage one another. He said, actually, I'll encourage you. I'll wrap my son in skin. And I'll plant him in your world, in those bookends in between. And then you can see what it looks like to live out this life of encouragement. Watch my son. Jesus doesn't just encourage us. He, like, is encouragement. Like, encouragement wrapped up in skin. So if we're going to become people who learn what it looks like to encourage one another, really what we need to do is just look at Jesus. Not just what he does, but who he is. <laughs> oh, I'm probably going to pull out an earring, yeah? Okay, I gotcha. A little clattery. All right, all right. I'm working on it. So there, there are just three things I want to look at. Three pieces of who are we all good? Okay, okay. <laughs> See, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> the buzz, the earring. Three Three pieces of who Jesus is that I think could help us figure out how to encourage one another. So Jesus, we, we know, is the Word. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus is the way. 
And together, as we look at these three things, I think we can um, glean some great ideas on what it looks like to encourage through word, through witness, and through the way that we walk. John 1, 1 to 5, I love the way John starts the Christmas story. It is certainly not in the way that any of the other gospel writers started the Christmas story, but this is what John says. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Later in verse 14, he says, The Word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we have seen his glory. Jesus is the Word. And when we stand at this bookend and say yes to salvation, that living word moves inside of us. We have seen his glory. We haven't just seen it. Inside of us dwells the living word. And because we are carriers of the living word, we can encourage one another with words. I think so often in today's world, words have become super cheap. You get on your favorite social media and you do a little browse through and you will have more words in your head than you probably need in a lifetime and you'll have it in three seconds. We fling words and and let words slip and we say so, so much that pretty soon I think what we've forgotten is what the proverb says, that a well-timed word is like an apple of gold in settings of silver. Maybe today you just need to be reminded that the word within you sometimes needs to come out. Our words don't matter. We know that. Nothing I can say today is going to make a difference in your heart. Nothing you can say to anyone is going to change things. But because we carry the living word inside of us, that word can change things. I think of so many times when a word passed through my head and all I would have needed to do was open my mouth and say it, but I didn't. I don't even know why. Because I was in a hurry, because I didn't know the person so well, because I did know the person too well. We have the living word. And sometimes a well-timed word can change the course of an entire person's day. Maybe even their life. Long before I was a professional carpooler, short order cook, laundry folder, toilet scrubber, mom. I was a teacher, I told you that. One of my very first teaching jobs in the States um, was at a school on the Mississippi River. It was a really unique town. It, it just had really unique socioeconomics. There's a lot of have and a lot of have not, and there was not a lot of gap in the middle. It created very interesting dynamics in a high school. And um, I was brought on um, to teach English. I later learned I was a fourth teacher in that job. No one survived that job more than a year. I was a fourth teacher brought on. And the reason no one survived is because all the teachers who'd been there a long time took all the classes that were really awesome and lovely and easy. And then they, they piled all the courses that no one wanted to teach onto the new teacher. So I was that teacher. And um, one of the classes I taught was just a very simple college English class and for a, a very at-risk population. And my students needed this class to graduate 
So either they passed the English class and they got a diploma, if they passed everything else, or not. But this is the kind of student I was dealing with. And um, so I got to my room, when I, that new teacher, and I was sitting in my room. It was a room without a single window. It was about as small as a closet. And I looked at the class list for this particular English class, and I saw that I had 32 kids on the list. And I looked around my room, and I counted the deaths, and I had 25 deaths. So I marched right down to the principal's office and I said, hey, like I think there's a mix-up. Here's my class list. This is how many deaths I have. You're going to need to get me some more deaths. Oh, I don't know where you're going to put them, but we're going to need more deaths. And the principal kind of smirked and looked at me and he said, yeah, um, it's okay. Like history shows that give it like a week and you'll be down to half those kids. Now, I don't know if it was my 25-year-old pride or um, just a little bit of spirit-filled confidence, but I looked at my brand-new principal, who was the boss of me, and I said very politely, well, you'll need to be finding some more desks because you've never had me teach this class. <laughs> yeah. So... I made it my goal. I thought, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know how I'm going to reach these kids. I don't know how we're going to get through this year together, but I know one thing. Like, I know I can love these kids. I know I can speak life over these kids. That's what I'm going to do. I don't know if I can get them to pass English, um, but I'm, I'm going to do that. And so um, we did that. We did that. I had kids, kids, sitting, kids sitting, on, sitting on the floor. We crammed in. Eventually, the janitor brought more kids. And I did end up losing a couple, but in the end, I had 27 kids that were still in my English class, and every single one of them graduated. But I want to tell you why this matters. Because it was in that class with those kids that nobody thought really mattered enough to even bring in a desk with those kids. I learned the power of an encouraging word. I'll be honest, those kids discouraged me. Sounds really great to tell it now, like 20 years later, but you know, it just was hard. It was just hard. And there's so little fruit from my labor, I really didn't think I was making a difference. And I would come home and cry. And on my breaks, I was calling, like, thinking, what could I do besides a teacher? I was, like, looking into nursing programs. Or, I don't know. Like, it just was so overwhelming. And then at the end of the school year, I came to my desk, and there is this handwritten note on just a piece of spiral-bound paper from a girl named Jamie. And Jamie wrote me this letter basically went like this, like all my life I'd heard about kids who had special teachers in their lives. And I always thought that I would have a special teacher because like I love school and I love to learn, so I should be the kind of girl that would find a special teacher. But I went through elementary school and I never found one. I went through junior high and I never found one. And then my dad died, and my mom died, and my dad got overwhelmed, and my brother got into trouble, and dad's attention went there, and I thought, I'm just not the kind that gets special people. I lose my mom, and I can't even find a special teacher. And so I'd just given up hope on ever finding that, and I thought I was just going to put my head down and get through my senior year and finally just get out of school, and then I walked into your classroom. And on the first day, you looked at me, and you told me you loved my smile. And day after day, you just spoke that way to people. And she began to name students and things I'd said that I don't remember saying. Because it was the word of life coming out of me. I was just opening my mouth. I couldn't tell you today if I really said what she said I said. And she thanked me for being that special teacher. And 
was reminded that we have no idea the power of an encouraging word. We just need to speak it. I know some of you are sitting here going, that's great, because you're like a talker, which I am. And you seem to love words. I already confessed that. But that's not me. I, I don't do words. I can't ever come up with something to say. I have really good news for you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and the living word dwells in you, you don't have to come up with something to say. Isaiah 50, 4-9 says this, God has given me a well-taught tongue, so I know how to encourage tired people. He wakes me morning by morning, opens my ears, and, and I open my ears as one ready to listen. We want to encourage one another. We open our ears to the voice that encourages us. Morning by morning, he has given us what we need to encourage tired people. All right, any kids in the room, this one's for you. Your mom is tired, and the Lord probably could use you to encourage her. So, little words, mine are right up there. We can encourage people because we have the living word. But sometimes, let's be honest, words do fall short. There are times that words aren't really the thing that are needed in a certain situation. I often look at Job's story, and if you're familiar with the Bible, Job is a story of a man who endured great suffering. He lost everything. He lost his family. He lost his crops. He lost his health. He He just lost everything. And he's sitting in the dust, refusing to, like, curse the Lord, and his friends come to encourage him. And it starts out okay as three friends come, and they're saying some kind of encouraging thing, but the longer they talk and the more they talk, it just starts going downhill. And at some point when you're reading Job, you're like, just stop talking. Later on, when God finally speaks at the very end of this book, he he says to the friends, ugh, Stop talking. Be quiet. That didn't help. And I remember reading through parts of Job with a a mix of young girls. We were doing Bible study, and one girl said, they just should have gone and been quiet. It's true. Jesus is indeed the living word, but also the Bible says that he is Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph is debating what to do about Mary and this pregnant, her pregnancy and this baby that she claims is the son of God, and he's just trying to figure out what to do with that. That's how our Christmas story starts. It's not as tidy as we like to picture it. And an angel comes and says, it's all right, Joseph. Everything she says is true. It matches right up with what the prophet said. So Matthew 1.23, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. I think that is my favorite line of the Christmas story. It's like God looked at the mess we were in, and he didn't just speak a word, you can do it, you're going to be all right, just keep trying. He actually wrapped himself in flesh and came here. Jesus relinquished the throne and stepped into the throes of our mess. And he said, hey, I'm, I'm here. I'm with you. I'm with you. 
And sometimes the best way to encourage one another is simply to offer our witness. I think this is one of the hardest things. Because we are busy people. And we have agendas and schedules and things to do and places to be. And witness requires time. Sometimes more than a perfect word, we are people in our life who just need our imperfect presence. When my daughter Hannah was in like second grade, she came home from school one day and she had this like slab of blood on her sleeve and this just really big brown muddy spot on her backside and I looked at her and I said, hey, what happened today? She said, oh, yeah, Grace, Grace tripped on a kickball at recess and then fell in a puddle. <laughs> Try not to laugh because I pictured that fiasco and I said, oh, so, did you help her? Yeah. I said, well, did you run and get the nurse? And Hannah laughed and said, Mom, you know I can't run fast. I got the fastest boy in school to run and get the teacher, and then I just sat with Grace. I said, in the puddle? Uh-huh. Hannah got real quiet, and she looked at me, kind of started studying herself, and I think felt a little bad about the mess that she'd made. And she said, Mom, I, I just thought Grace needed someone to be with her while she was waiting for help. Sometimes we really don't have what we need to help. Like, I can't fix that for you. I wish I could change your circumstance, but I can't. But here's what I can do. I can sit with you in that puddle. I can offer you my witness. Because once again, those of us who carry Emmanuel within us, when we step into a situation, we bring Jesus into the puddle. And sometimes the best way to make someone's legs brave is just to get in the puddle with them until they can stand on their own. know what that would look like for you, Moran Park? Maybe here on a Sunday what that means is someone is sitting beside you during worship and you notice that they've just kind of overcome. There's tears sort of beside himself. You don't know that person super well, so it's a little weird. You're not sure, do I pray for them? Do I, do I say something? And maybe as you pray, you just feel like the Lord, like, you know what, just put your arm around them. Give them a little squeeze. Maybe college students, you're like moving into this time of stress and cramming for final exams, and you're noticing there's someone in your dorm that just seems off, crabby, struggling. Your first instinct, instinct is just push them away, like, I do not have time for someone like you. I got my own deal. But the, the Holy Spirit says, actually, that person's the one. She needs you to knock on their door. Just, just be with them a little bit. I have friends that do this so well, so well. They show up at times when I haven't even put words to what I need and I don't know myself what I need and they just show up. A couple years ago, we were just in the middle of a, just a hard spot. I had a kid who was struggling. We had an adoption that was falling apart. 
had a brother-in-law that was battling cancer and wasn't winning, just was in a tough spot, and I hit a week where I was just done with it. And I had a friend who called me and said, yeah, you know, we were supposed to have a coffee date. Can you make it? Can we meet? And I said, no, I can't even do it. I can't. I haven't showered in two days. I haven't combed my hair. I just can't even leave the house. I'm sorry, I can't do it. And plus, I have like 1,700 loads of laundry that need to be folded if my kids are going to go to school and something besides their underwear tomorrow. <laughs> so I hung up. I felt kind of bad for ditching my friend. I got all my laundry out, poured it in a pile, and suddenly the doorbell rang. And there stood my friend with two cups of coffee. She said, I'm here to fold laundry. She walked in and then she said, I have never seen this much laundry. <laughs> <laughs> my friend sat right down in our living room and folded laundry on the dirty carpet. And we brushed the dog hair off the clean laundry and we drank her coffee. And I will not forget how my soul was buoyed by her witness. We didn't talk about the mess. We didn't talk about the things going on. We didn't even talk about anything that I can remember that mattered, but we were just together. Sometimes we need to offer someone a well-timed word, and sometimes we just need to offer them our witness. And sometimes the best way to encourage another person is simply by the way that we walk. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When we watch the way Jesus walks, we learn what it looks like to walk out life in this broken world. I think sometimes we underestimate the fact that our personal um, history and story with Jesus has a ripple effect. Hunger is crazy contagious. If you do nothing else right now but chase hard after Jesus and fan the flame of your own love for him and you begin to live in a way that's radically in love with Jesus, I guarantee you will encourage someone without even knowing it. My teenage daughter a couple summers ago just had this beautiful encounter with Jesus where he started to stir in her an unnatural hunger for his presence. And I would look out the window on a summer's day and I'd see her out on the deck with her Bible and journal, but a lot of times she just looked like she was off in daydream land. And she just was drawn to spend time with Jesus as a 16-year-old, maybe. And then she went that summer to Wyoming to be a camp counselor for kids, and, and when she got there, um, God showed up. She came home and we were processing what it looked like how God used her, and she said, I don't know what to tell you other than hunger's really contagious. And it's like those little girls saw how hungry I was for Jesus, and every time we opened the word, they got hungry too. I think that's why Paul, when he writes to the Ephesians, reminds us, follow God's example as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering. The way that you walk matters. The way that you walk can encourage or discourage your brothers and sisters around you. When I was a 16-year-old myself, I went to church camp as a camp counselor, and I was paired with a college-age girl named Heidi. And so we did life together for a week. We tended to these little ones in our cabin, 
And Heidi and I didn't have a lot of talk time. When you have like 12 first graders between you, you don't talk a lot. But I watched Heidi all week. And Heidi intrigued me because there was nothing unusual about the way Heidi looked. There was nothing actually even memorable about um, Heidi's giftings or skill set. But Heidi shined with a light that I just had never seen. She had a confidence in her step that I'd never witnessed. She was just infused with a joy that I had never encountered. And as I watched Heidi all through the week, I just thought, what does that girl have? On the last night of that camp, we lay on the beach under the stars with our little girls around us for the last night's sleep out. And all the girls were sleeping. And in the dark, I said to Heidi, hey, like, what's your biggest dream? And Heidi said, oh, I just want to love Jesus more. And as a 16-year-old girl, I remember thinking, yeah, no, I, I, I know. I know the Jesus thing. But, like, what's your dream? I mean, I get it. Like, you want Jesus to be a part of your dreams. But, like, what's your dream? I mean, you're in college. I would guess you're dreaming big. I just want to love Jesus more. I did not think about Heidi probably until my mid-20s when I had achieved a lot of my dreams and I still felt pretty empty. And one day when I was processing this with the Lord, he just brought Heidi back to mind. He just said, remember her? The way she talked to me like I was right next to her, I was. The way she just sang with joy and, and smiled and was radiant, like that was me and her. Do you remember that? And suddenly at 25, what didn't really resonate with me at 16 was that little prayer like, Jesus, I want you to be my biggest dream. Heidi didn't know that 10 years later, the way she walked out life at a church camp with first graders would move a woman in her mid-20s to say, I want it too. Heidi made my legs brave long after we'd spent time together. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. Moran Park, we are invited to be a people who walk between the bookends with brave legs. And we are invited to encourage one another with the word, with our witness, and with our walk. May we do that as a church. I'd like to pray. Jesus, oh, God with us. Thank you for coming and sitting in the mud puddle with us. Thank you that you did not just leave us between these bookends to figure out what it means to be people of faith and people of joy and people of encouragement. Thank you that as we press closer to you, we can see what it means to encourage. Thank you that we don't have to come up with the words or the ideas or a strategy to become encouraging people. We literally, Lord, just need to tune our ears to you. Walk in step with your spirit. Open our mouths and speak when you give us a word. Close our mouths and be present when you say be quiet. Walk in a way, Lord. Walk in a way that points others to you. Could that be what Moran Park is known for? 
Jesus, move us to be people who make one another's legs brace. We pray this in your glorious name. Amen. Hey, as Seth, as Seth comes up, and um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. As Seth prepares to transition, I just invite you as we move into a time of music, um, just to take a little time um, as we worship to ask the Lord, just very specifically, is there someone in my life that needs encouragement? Maybe it's someone here, maybe it's someone beyond these walls, but God, would you show us just one person, one action step, a word, a witness, something about your walk? that he wants to invite you into so he can grow us into becoming people who are encouraging one another.